I bring you greetings from the saints in Christ at Zion Lutheran Church in Staunton, Illinois. We have the distinct privilege of serving as the host congregation for the Lord's Supper this year. And it is my privilege to break one of my very own promises. I promised I would never stand before you for two reasons. One, the faculty, because they know everything. Second, the second-year students, because they think they know everything. Do you know your neighbor's names? Do you know their kids? Do you know their story? While this is a special community, one that I was a part of ten years ago, is it vastly different than the communities in which other saints live? We're busy. Really busy. So busy, in fact, that we have a hard enough time keeping track of ourselves, let alone the person next door. Times have changed. There are some of us with enough gray up here to remember the days when you knew your neighbors. I remember mine. Quite fondly. Growing up in Edwardsville, just across the river, we were on Cass Avenue and I remember each one of those that lived next to us. Not so much for who they are or who they were, but for how they treated us. Back in the mid-1970s, divorce had left my family broken, bloodied, and in poverty. Those families, those respectable families on cast, could very well have closed their doors and their minds to us, but they didn't. It wasn't the neighborly thing to do. They were wonderful neighbors. If you're standing on my old front porch, right over here was Mr. and Mrs. Huntress. Older couple had a wonderful basketball court, the only patch of clear concrete without grass coming out of it in our neighborhood. They let us play without raising an eyebrow. Then there was Mrs. Ward across the street. She she was of of Asian descent and married a serviceman and he brought her here and then suddenly died. And she made drapes for a living. And I know she made a set for our living room. and, And I know she didn't charge my mom full price because we could have never afforded it. Then there was my favorite right over here was was Mrs. Brown. She was an elderly lady but she loved sugary breakfast cereals. And she would collect the little toys that came in the bottom, and every once in a while she'd call my mom and she'd say, send Nathan up, I have something for the kids. And she'd hand me the toy out of the box. And you'd have thought that she was handing me an Xbox or something. Right over there were the Koenigs. They had kids just a little bit older than us. And they were members at Trinity. And as we hit that age, that magic nursery school age, they walked across the street and they said, you know, we've got a preschool over there for Nathan. And it won't cost you a thing. The Koenigs introduced me to Mrs. Brockmeyer. Mrs. Brockmeyer, in turn, introduced me to Jesus. They could never have known that a little more than 20 years later, that de-churched Catholic neighbor kid 
would be ordained in their church. So did all these neighbors do all of this because they knew how it would all turn out? No way. They had no idea what was going to happen. They simply treated us the way they treated us because it was the neighborly thing to do. Especially the Koenigs. They knew Jesus. And they wanted us to know him too. They knew the the grace that they'd received from the Lord. So they put it into practice. Jesus is dealing with a person in the word before us who well knew the law and the prophets. And yet what the master teacher shows us is that he and far too many others fall short in the practice part, or more precisely, we practice the wrong part. This lawyer thought that he could justify himself, so he asks questions. What must I do to inherit eternal life? This is a logical question. It it fits the theological system in which this lawyer labored, and it makes sense to us. You know, we, we ask the same kind of questions even though we may be so arrogantly Lutheran to never think that we ever try to earn heaven, we know the thought process. You know, what do I have to do to get in the good graces of that really difficult prof? Or, or uh, what do I have to do to get that really primo placement on call night? What do I have to do to get, the, get my spot elevated in the faculty pecking order? Do the right things and you get a reward, right? It all makes sense. So what's the big deal? The big deal is it's not the neighborly thing to do. The first question of the lawyer betrays the fact that he sees law where he should see see gospel. He recites the summary of the law to Jesus and then asks the second question. Just who is my neighbor? And to answer this, Jesus tells a story. You know, he's always telling stories. And he tells the one familiar to us, the good Samaritan. You know all the details. The man going on the journey gets happened upon by robbers, beaten up, stripped naked, left for dead. The priest and the Levite come by, do nothing. And then the Samaritan hops into action doing more than he could ever be expected to do. He dresses the man's wounds. He gives up his mount to the man. He takes him to an inn. He pays the expenses. He assumes the cost of the future care. What that Samaritan does is eminently neighborly. Even the lawyer had to admit that. Does that mean all we have to do is show a little mercy and we inherit eternal life? Or how about selling all you have and giving up the good job and preparing for the ministry. Or taking a pay cut so that you can have a hand in molding the next generation of pastors in your image. Not hardly. It's making an act of mercy, an act of obligation. So perhaps the better question that we should ask today is, who is the man left dead? At the risk of overdosing on allegory, It's the lawyer who's beaten and left for dead. It's the seminarian. It's the professor 
It's the pastor. And what is it that beats us and leaves us for dead? It's the law. The priests and the Levites don't help. They just show us how desperate our condition is. The very thing that the lawyer and we use to try to justify ourselves is the very thing that sets upon us and leaves us for dead. Especially in those times when we try to live our righteous little lives like the lawyer. And in our arrogant, prideful, confessional sinfulness, that law leaves us much closer to death. We desperately need the good Samaritan to come bind our wound, to offer us his place on his donkey, and for him to assume the cost of whatever care it would take to make us whole again. And we have that. We have Jesus. He finds each of us beaten and bloodied and left for dead, even worse, already dead, but doesn't leave us there. He cleanses our wounds with his very own blood shed on the cross. He takes full responsibility for the cost of our recovery with nothing less than his perfect, sinless life. Jesus is merciful to those who don't deserve it. Chief of those, me, you, you don't deserve mercy. But that's what makes it mercy. Mercy is the neighborly thing to do. And we who have been mercied are then called by the Lord to be servers of mercy. But it's always response. We don't mercy our way or preach our way or administer the sacraments our way into eternal life. Only those who have received the mercy of Christ can hope to offer that mercy. But this mercy has grand results. For through this mercy giving, Christ finds others who lay bleeding and dying because of sin-inflicted wounds. In this way, our mercy giving is the neighborly thing to do. But being neighborly today may get someone to look at you funny. They may want to try and figure out your angle. They want to know what you're after. What's this student doing trying to curry favor with me? Or what's that brother doing to make himself look good in the eyes of those who notice? We have no angle. We're simply being neighborly. Neighborly. Like Jesus. A good neighbor makes the whole neighborhood better. Just look at what Jesus has done for you. Moved you from being naked and left for dead to clothed in righteousness and in preparation for the office where you too will proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, which leads to healing, life, and salvation. Healing, life, and salvation that sinners desperately need. But we can't let what God has called us to lead us into our own version of lawyering. For to do so leads us past those who are bleeding and dying. The one for whom Christ came to be Samaritan. Do you know your neighbor's name? Do you know their kids? Do you know their story? 
Jesus, you're yours. You go and do likewise.